Hi everyone, it's Andre from Mental Health and I'm here with Stephen who's just given a fantastic keynote presentation. People stood up in their seats and applauded at the end. Tell Thank us a you. bit about who you are and your work. Thank you. So I'm Stephen from the Validity Foundation. Um, we're an international human rights NGO. Um, we're actually based in Budapest, which is the capital of Hungary. Um, but we conduct litigation and advocacy for people with psychosocial disabilities, mostly in Europe and Africa. But we're also engaged in international reforms and things at the United Nations, for example. Yeah. So you're a team of lawyers. Yeah. You do that work. How did you first get interested in mental health and human rights? Mm-hmm. So uh, for me, I came from a background where kind of mental health was really, or issues around mental health was really present in my life. Um, my mother, for about 40 years, had um, a diagnosis of bipolar affective disorder, kind of related um, diagnoses, um, and, and it really massively impacted her life. Um, she was often placed in psychiatric facilities uh, for extended periods of time, compulsory detention, um, and even from a really young age, I saw the effects of that on, on her, uh, on my family, um, and, and, you know, it really um, destroyed much of her life in some ways to be treated kind of like... Um, a, a non-person to be subject to everyone else and with no idea that she could be a functioning member of even the family, let alone the community. And it really, um, yeah, it kind of engaged me in this field, uh, shaped kind of who I am, and it shaped kind of a real desire to challenge those kinds of injustices. Um, and particularly after my mother died in a psychiatric hospital when when her medical needs were neglected, because everything was about her mind, nothing to do with her medical needs. And I I found that very unjust as a young person, Um, and I think lots of families can sort of empathise with this sort of situation, and I wanted to change it, and that was part of why I studied law, actually. It's part of why I studied human rights, Uh, and it's why I'm now in this field today, working with people with psychosocial disabilities. You gave, you gave some photos, some really kind of shocking photos in your presentation um, where you highlighted recent human rights abuses of people with psychosocial difficulties around Europe mm-hmm. and you said this still happens, it hasn't gone away and there were kind of lots of very thoughtful people looking at their shoes at that point. Yes. Tell us a bit about the work that you've done and what you've seen in recent years. Sure. So we were set up really to tackle the discrimination faced by people with mental health issues in Central and Eastern Europe Um, uh, about 20 years ago almost. And at that time, what we saw was people kept in large institutions, often like castles, far away from society. Um, We often saw people in uniforms, almost as if they were prisoners, Uh, We saw, for example, people having their heads shaved and really having every characteristic, every part of their identity removed. And, of course, we saw all sorts of other really shocking practices like uh, caging of people, like restraints, physical restraints, etc., etc., etc. So 20 years ago, that was what we started challenging. And I have to say today that the old, that old model of institutional psychiatry um, still holds on in many, many countries. Um, although there is now a growing understanding that some of these practices are unacceptable, we need to be aiming for inclusion of people or uh, recovery-focused movements, etc. 
um, we actually see that conventional or traditional psychiatry holds on hard, hard to these old ways of doing things. This is a very coercive approach. So, I mean, today we're still seeing uh, the use of caging, for example, in Hungary, in the Czech Republic, in psychiatric hospitals. Um, we're still seeing mass long-term incarceration in many countries where people really don't ever leave when they're placed inside um, an institution. And we regularly see, even in countries where they're trying to reduce, for example, physical restraints, like strapping, etc., um, one of the unfortunate things is that then they start to use chemical restraints on, in, in very large quantity because mental health services continue massively to be under-supported, underfunded, and, and don't tend to be very preventive at all. They're not available in community settings. So, um, so uh, we still retain this really strong, coercive model of psychiatry which, which denies people's dignity, their autonomy, their right to decide anything about their lives in fact and yeah so that that's still happening today and we continue to tackle it so a lot of the mental health events i go to in the uk run by universities or the nhs or by charities are events about services and research and people often present solutions to these problems which are you know we've got this amazing new service or we've got this amazing new idea for a research study your approach is is to kind of sue <laughs> you know in, in a word so you use strategic litigation to try and uphold human rights so how mm. does that work yeah i mean it's it is pretty much suing people but more specifically um it's about taking cases which represent a big issue uh that we've identified in a country so whether it be using seclusion cells or whether it be using unmodified ect whatever it is um that people themselves tell us is most important um, we then kind of we spend a huge amount of resources developing individual cases with clients um, to tackle what is a systematic issue. And so we build a case essentially that will target particular practices, particular laws, particular, particular procedures which enable these kinds of abuse to take place. And then we go into the court and we do haul governments into the court to respond to these. Um, the idea is that human rights or international human rights law is not just a piece of paper. It should be something that people can enforce. And the critical way of enforcing that really is in, in courts. Um, in doing so, it also kind of has a side effect, if I can use the term, um, which is an important one, which is that people with psychosocial disabilities go to courts. They are recognised as actors under the law. Many countries still try to restrict that right for people with psychosocial disabilities. Um, but in every single case that we try, we get people into the court. We say that the courts must deal with these issues, the courts must hold governments accountable, and really either must stop the practices which are so abusive, um, or, in fact, and this is possibly the more interesting and complex area of our work, is about governments must start doing certain things, start ensuring that services are actually available in the community, as opposed to pilot projects, which is forever. There are a bazillion pilot projects, but very few governments have created new networks of actual services that enable inclusion, support, etc. <laughs> So we spoke earlier um, in the conference to Natalie Drewbold from the WHO who's doing the human rights, equality rights work 
And she described to us the UN Convention and the way that the kind of legislation is trying to be um, changed in various countries. Um, what's your sense of how European legal systems need to develop to better protect people that need these, this protection? Mm. So, um, I mean, I think one of the critical components that we see um, in ensuring reform is actually having political will, but that is not easy. That's why we use litigation, okay, to put a spotlight, get a public interest, and then you know, try to push that political will. But really to gain um, reform, it has to start in a way from the legal system itself, as in the legislation that underpins the provision of services, the treatment of persons with psychosocial disabilities. Globally, there's a debate whether there should even be mental health laws. Uh, mental health laws, of course, do separate persons with psychosocial disabilities from everyone else for specific types of treatment, usually with the purpose of having compulsory elements of that. So if you're in, in the international debate, there are many who would call particularly users of services or survivors, as some refer to themselves, that those should be removed entirely. Um, we take a, a slightly different approach to that. We say that any kind of reform processes must be based on the principle of non-discrimination. That means if I have a right to move around and liberty and to choose whether to accept or reject uh, health treatments, then so should every person and so should persons with psychosocial disabilities, including in, related, in relation to matters about their mental health. Um, Laws need to be based on that principle before then they can start looking at how to prevent uh, violations um, and develop networks of services that are ultimately community-based. Now, one of the big problems in Europe at the moment is we still maintain overall this institutional approach um, to psychiatry, and governments are really slow to rethink how to get services into the community where people are and must and should be located. Um, that takes uh, a lot of time, it takes financing, um, but it also requires some hard decisions. We need to, for example, stop funding big psychiatric facilities and move that funding to, to the provision of services that are you know, peripatetic or which are under the control or commission of persons themselves. We see very few good examples of that and often we see some practices that are piloted but are very rarely scaled up as in, and become national sort of policy frameworks. And that's a real problem. Um, the research agenda has been really good in showing that, yes, it's possible to have all sorts of different ways of providing services which respect autonomy, increase people's autonomy, etc. Um, but we don't see the investment into that. And it's really um, important to hold the duty bearers account for that. It feels like what's happened recently in this country is that we have seen money being taken away from secondary care, mm. as you say, but not put into community services, just not, yep. you know, just taken away. <laughs> and actually, so what that's resulted in is a lot of people with mental health problems ending up in the criminal justice system. Um, and the complexities of how that works in relation to the mental health system. What, what kind of specific reforms, following the review of the Mental Health Act that's happened recently, what specific reforms do you think should be prioritised? So um, one of the most critical ones, it's, it's, uh, at least from a human rights perspective, is enabling people to control their own decisions. 
And I think what we've got to do really, and certainly from our perspective, we have to de-stress the role of service providers and stress the role of persons who are using services. And what that means is not just listening to them about the colour of their hospital ward, (laughs) which is sometimes how it's posed. Um, It means genuinely giving them control over things like budgeting. It means genuinely giving them the ability to access a range of services in the community. And I think it's right. Um, In times of austerity, governments do not prioritise mental health. In fact, it's the first element of national, quote, health budgets to be reduced. We know that. It's very consistent. Um, But it's very important, I think, to continue advocating that people have um, the ability to make genuine choices. The reason I like the human rights-based approach, I don't think it's sufficient in itself, but it really changes it from saying what people should or could or might do to saying this should also be enforceable. This must be enforceable. So it has a different quality, if you like. We're not making moral claims here. We're making claims of right, which means that people must act, at least under democratic systems of law. (laughs) Um, And that's what we need to aim for. We need to change the demands um, of persons with psychosocial disabilities as being less about care needs and care provision, more about demands. Demands for inclusion, uh, demands for autonomy, demands for respect for that autonomy, and enforcement when there are when those rights are violated. Um, and, and, and that's where we think um, legal systems should be going. That is not currently the debate I know happening in the United Kingdom, however. It's really inspirational work. Thank you so much for coming to the event and sharing it with us, and good luck with everything you're doing in the future. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking. Thank